We're in a series right now we're calling Legendary, and we are building anticipation towards that Easter Sunday when we talk about the most legendary man that ever walked the face of the earth. How many of you are excited about Easter? One more time. Come on. Well, guess what? Every Sunday is Easter Sunday for the child of God. Amen. Amen. Come on. Is, is the tomb empty today? Can we just go ahead and start the celebration a little early? We, got, we know the end of the story, right? You read the back of the book. I mean, come on. We're going to celebrate today. I'm going to tell you a story about a different man. It's in the Old Testament, the book of Judges, chapter 6. I want to talk about a man named Gideon. If you don't have a Bible, and you, I'm going to read a lot of verses today. You can borrow one we have in the, uh, the book racks underneath the seats near you. We'll put these up on the screen for you to follow along. Well, we're going to go into Judges chapter 6 today. Now, how many of you know the title legendary is a title that you give to somebody else? I mean, wouldn't it be weird if, like, you just were self-proclaimed living legend? Like, you just told everybody you were legendary. Wouldn't that be a little awkward if somebody had, like, amazing skills and abilities and they used them all for themselves all the time? Well, it's one of those things that you got to recognize in somebody else. It can't be bestowed upon yourself. And when we think about the ultimate legend, our mind as believers goes right to Jesus for this very reason, because Jesus was the epitome of selflessness. He gave himself fully. In fact, the Bible says this, Jesus said this in John 15, verse 13. He said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. That's legendary. And that's what Jesus did for us. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now today, I, I wanna share some insights from the life of Gideon, and we're gonna cover a lot of ground, but here's my prayer, that as we look at his life and all the stories we're gonna look at in this series, that God would speak some things to you and I about the kind of people that he's called us to be, that you would live an unforgettable life. Yeah. So I want to give you a little bit of context first. If you found your way to Judges chapter 6, can you say amen? amen? All right, we're there. Some of you are not there. You're just waiting for Tyler to be there because you know he's going to put it behind me, and so you're not even going to bother trying. But let me give you a little bit of the backstory. Judges chapter 6, the first six verses tell us this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Pause. If you've ever read the book of Judges, you recognize that phrase because it shows up a lot. Here we are again. For seven years, it says, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. 
Now, now let me just pause and, and say this. I'm going to say a lot of names that are hard to pronounce and places that you don't know where they exist. But can I challenge you today not to disengage in the reading of the word? Everything that I'm going to say is just filler. How many of you know the most important thing is what's in this book today? Come on, I should have got a stronger amen on Sunday more than that. The most important thing said today has already been spoken by God in his word. Amen? Amen. And so I hear the story today, but please lean in to hear what God is saying to us through his word. And what we understand so far is that it's been seven years of tribulation for the people of Israel. The Midianites keep coming in and taking over and destroying the crops and destroying the land. And there's so many of them. He says they're like locusts spread out over the field. We can't even count them. And for seven years, the people of God have been dealing with this situation. It has impoverished the Israelites, it says. And they find themselves in what I call the sin cycle. Now, if you read the book of Judges, you'll see this plays out over and over and over again. And here's, here's the sin cycle. It begins with sin. It begins with rebellion. It begins with them doing things that God clearly told them not to do. And that always leads to defeat. You don't have to say amen, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Sin always leads, leads to defeat. It leads to bondage. It leads to slavery. It leads to destruction. But when they finally hit rock bottom, it leads to humility. They fall down on their knees. They call out to God. They repent. They're contrite. They're sorry. They ask God to help them. And here's the good news. No matter how many times you sin, no matter how many times you put yourself in bondage and captivity to the enemy, if you will humble yourself, God always answers that prayer. Amen? And so the next phase is deliverance. And in the book of Judges, God would raise up a judge. That word literally means hero. So God would raise up a hero. Today's hero is Gideon. And they would come and they would rescue and deliver the people. But it wasn't too long after that we'd see that familiar phrase. And the people of God did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they go back to sin. And they go from sin back into bondage. And they go from bondage back into repentance. And after repentance, thank God, they get deliverance. But then they go back into sin. And it goes on and on from generation to generation. And, and I just got this sense. Maybe, maybe I'm presuming too much. But possibly there's somebody here today that I just described your whole life. Like that's you. And you're here today because you hit rock bottom and you said, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll go to church on Sunday. I mean, God, if you'll help me fix this, I'll be better. I'll do better. I'll try harder. And you, and here's the good news. God will answer that prayer. Even if you prayed it a hundred times before, even if you pray it knowing you're probably going to screw up again, God is gracious. He's faithful. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. That means for your last apology, God's got one more I forgive you. And when you pray that prayer, God will redeem you. He will help you to course correct your life. He will rescue you. But can I say to you today, that was not God's plan, that you live your life going around the same mountain. Amen. You don't have to live all of your days in the sin cycle. 
You can get out of that washing machine today. Amen. Listen, I love the way the psalmist describes this moment. In Psalm 124, verse 7, it says this. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. Can you imagine that? You know, the little basket that they would sit and and they would put a stick to prop it up and, and they would put some bait inside and then the bird would go underneath and trip the wire and the basket falls. And that's a description of the person whose life is in sin. The Bible says in this verse that we have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare. But the next part is my favorite part. And this is the part some of you are missing in your life. It says the snare has been broken and we have escaped. See, some of you, you got out, but the snare was never broken. And so what was a vice you you got delivered from, but you found yourself right back in the same pattern again. But can I tell you today in Jesus' name that God wants to come into your situation and not only set you free, but he wants to break the snare. He wants to totally destroy it. Amen? So that you never go back. So that you never fall into that same cycle of sin. So that you never turn back to that addictive habit or behavior. So that you never find yourself trapped the same way again. I haven't even mentioned Gideon yet, but I feel like I'm preaching already. I, mean, I don't know if you feel that. I just, I just feel like I've said something for somebody already. That's where the people of Israel were. And it's at this point in their sin and in their rebellion that God sends a prophet to clarify it. And hopefully God would use me in that way today to just bring some clarity to your situation. Here's what the prophet said to them. Look at verse 7. It says, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. That's pretty much the message. God says, look, I brought you up out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. Now look at verse 10. God says, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not Worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. And God's saying, this is exactly what I told you was going to happen if you did what I told you not to do when you got there. But here we are again, and they go back in for another spin in the sin cycle. And it's into this atmosphere that Gideon now comes on the scene. Look with me in the next verse. It says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and he sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So this is where we meet Gideon. And here's what you need to know about this guy right out of the gate. He is clever. He's resourceful. He comes up with some pretty wild ideas. And and this is one of them where we meet him. Now, I I don't know if you know anything about threshing wheat on a threshing floor or if you've ever uh, crushed grapes in a wine press with your bare feet the way they did in those days. But I've never had those experiences. So I had to do a little research. And let me tell you what I learned. 
Nobody wants grapes in their wheat, and nobody wants the chaff from the wheat in their wine. And so you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. When you're threshing the wheat, it usually took place up on a hill in an arid area because they would use the wind to sift the wheat. Oftentimes, they would, they would take a winnowing fork and they would pick up the wheat and they would throw it into the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the wheat grains would fall to the ground. And so this was the process of wind winnowing and they would throw the wheat in the air and the chaff would blow away until eventually they had their harvest there. So it took place up on a hill. It took place out in the open. But if you've got an enemy like the Midianites that are coming in and stealing your harvest and taking away what you've worked hard to keep, you got to come up with a new plan. And so Gideon is in the wine press. Now, the wine press is usually at the bottom of the hill. It's a, a hole that's been hewn out of rock to where they would crush the grapes in a pit, and then there was a little canal where the juice would drain down into a vat where it was held. Now, it was down low because, I mean, who wants to tote a wheelbarrow full of grapes up a hill, right? So it's down here. And so Gideon is in the wine press, but he's trying to thresh the wheat. He's hiding from the Midianites. Now, just imagine with me how unsuccessful he looks in this moment. There's no wind. And he takes his winnowing fork and he throws the wheat in the air and all the chaff just falls down on his head. And he's covered in this stuff and he takes it and he throws it in the air and it falls down on his head. And he, he can't use the tools. He doesn't have room to, to use any of the animals to thresh the wheat. He's beating the wheat with a stick. He's throwing it in the air. It's falling down on his head. He looks like an absolute failure when we get to verse 12. And that's what's so fascinating to me about verse 12. Look at it with me. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. How many of you know Gideon probably didn't feel like a mighty warrior in that moment? While he's hiding in a wine press, covered in straw, looking like a failure, afraid that the enemy is going to come and steal his crops one more time, and yet the angel of the Lord Perhaps the Lord Jesus himself in a theophany appears to Gideon and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Listen, if, if you're taking notes today, you need to write this down today. This is a key. You need to know that God sees your potential in him. He sees your potential in him. See, the temptation for us is to let our surroundings dictate our status. We look at where we are, and we allow that to define who we are. That's why when you sit down next to somebody on a plane, they don't ask, who are you? We wouldn't be ready for that question. They ask, what do you do? And we allow where we are and what we do to define who we are. But can I tell you today, God sees your potential in him, not in you, not in your surroundings, not in what others see or say about you. It might look like you're surrounded today, but can I tell you, your surroundings are surrounded by a sovereign God. Yes. And when he looks at your life, he doesn't see all the stuff that you're fretting over. He sovereignly sees your potential. And so the task that God calls you to, not might be, not could be, it will be bigger than your ability. 
See, we need to grab a hold of that reality. Otherwise, we too quickly disqualify ourselves from what we hear the Spirit of God saying. I don't know if that's ever happened in your life, but the Spirit of God just says something to you, and you go, oh, wow, yeah, I should do that. And then quickly, you start to think about your own skills, your abilities, your resources, and, and, and you come back to, well, somebody should do that. I tell you, one day in heaven, I'm going to meet somebody because they've had more jobs delegated to them than anybody else I've ever known. Because all my life in ministry, I've had people come to me and say, somebody ought to do this. Somebody ought to do that. I'm going, where is that guy? He's legendary. Somebody can do anything. But God looks at your ability in him. So the spirit of God, he calls out to you by his enabling power, not your own strength. That's why the statement is true. You've maybe heard it said before. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Because he sees us through his ability. Jesus said it like this, John 15, 5. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. In other words, I've got the root so that you can have the fruit. He said, if you remain in me, if you're tapped in, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. See, don't miss this today. The reason that the angel of the Lord could say mighty warrior to to Gideon is because he could first say the Lord is with you. This is not self-help. I'm not just telling you to look in the mirror and say you're a mighty warrior. I mean, some some people, that's the depth of their theology. They they get up every morning, look in the mirror and sing how great thou art. (laughs) I'm telling you, you're a mighty warrior if the Lord is with you. If the Lord is not with you, game over. But Gideon does what you and I often do. Right away, he begins to object. He doesn't see himself the way that God sees him. And so right away, he objects. Look at verse 13 with me, Judges 6. And he must have been been from the south because he's got some good manners here. He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. See, here's the logic of Gideon today. And maybe this has been your logic. God, if you're so good, why is this happened? God, if you're so good, why am I here? Why am I dealing with this? And, and then we begin to process and we go, wait a minute, I've heard the stories. I've heard the testimonies. I mean, God is good. And so if God is good and I'm still here, then I come to the conclusion, he must have abandoned me. He must have forgotten about me. If God's good and I'm in this, then you must not care about me and about my circumstance and my situation. And you need to lean in if that's your heart today, if that's the questions that have been rolling through your mind. You need to listen carefully because the angel of the Lord is about to give an emphatic answer saying that is a wrong conclusion. It is a wrong conclusion for you to think that the goodness of God is measured by your circumstance. See, legendary faith knows that regardless of what life throws at me, God is good. 
He is good. I love the way that James wrote it in the New Testament. James said in the first chapter, in the 17th verse, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's what I love about that verse. James isn't just saying God is good. I mean, that'll preach. That's a good statement, James. He goes beyond that. He's emphasizing the faithfulness of God. When he calls God the father of heavenly lights, James kind of takes us into the world of astronomy. He says, I want you to go with me here, that every good and perfect gift that we have, it comes from the father of heavenly light. And he takes us into a dimension where things are always changing, where stars are always varying in their brilliance, where the moon is waxing and waning, where the sun rises and sets, and sometimes it's totally eclipsed. And he says, God, who is the father of heavenly lights, is not anything like that. His love never waxes or wanes. His presence is never eclipsed. His goodness never sets with the evening sun. God is good all the time. His goodness is always undiminished. It's unchanging. It's always high noon for God. He's good. And yet I, I think some of us, we're living in verse 13 of Judges 6. Maybe these words describe your life, this question right here. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Some of you, that's a serious question that's caused you to lose a lot of sleep. And it's into that circumstance and into that uncertainty that Gideon gets his call and commission. And that's important because some of us, see, we want to get everything worked out before we surrender to the will and the call and the plan that God has for our life. But can I just say, if you feel like things are messed up and your life is a wreck and you're not sure why all of this has happened, this may be the day that God calls you. Amen. I'm telling you, you are primed and ready to hear the voice of the Lord today. It's into that atmosphere that we get verse 14. And it says, the Lord turned to him. And said, go in the strength you have. Huh. Don't you know that Gideon had to kind of think that was a joke? I mean, you can picture him there, right? He's hiding. He's afraid. He's in the wine press. He's covered in chaff. He looks like a failure. He feels like a failure. And here's the call. Go in the strength you have. Well, that would be good if I had strength, but I'm here. But God says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And then he asks a great question. Am I not sending you? And that is, by the way, the pivotal question. Am I not sending you? Because can I tell you, if God's not sending you, you better not go. You better not go. You better not step out on your own strength or ability. But he says, am I not sending you? And so here comes, here comes Gideon again with his apologetic rebuttal. Verse 15. Pardon me, Lord. Pardon me. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. That was not true, by the way. And I am least in my family. Again, not true. But this is how he sees himself. 
He honestly feels like I'm the least qualified, the least capable person to answer this call. Do you see me hiding in this wine press right now? Why would you call me to this? The truth is Gideon's response is not unfamiliar in Scripture. If you read the call of Isaiah, the call of Jeremiah, the call of Moses, they all sound very similar. You remember when Moses was called, right? He's there at the burning bush, and he hears the voice from God, and, and God says, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And what does he do right away? He starts backpedaling. But God, why would you call me? And I, I don't speak well, and I, 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 I'm not eloquent. And God says, I'm going to let Aaron do the talking. You just go. But, 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 but what if they don't believe me? Well, what if they won't listen to me? Well, and God says, I'm going to give you signs and wonders. Just hold out the staff in your hand. And he does it, and God does miracles, and God calls him. But do you remember the first time God called him? It was actually 40 years earlier. Moses was the only child rescued in Egypt when Pharaoh had decided to kill all of the newborn children. He, his name, Moses, means drawn out of the water. He was the one that his mother placed in the basket, and he went down the Nile, and he was picked up by none other than Pharaoh's daughter. He was raised in the house of a king, and when he came to a revelation of what was happening to God's people, he felt not only was he called, but he was fully equipped and qualified to deliver God's people. And he went out in his own arrogance, and he killed an Egyptian. And instead of the people of God rallying around him, they begin to point fingers at him and accuse him. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're going to get us all in trouble. And fear gripped Moses. And the Bible says he fled for his life to the wilderness. And he lived out there for 40 years so that God could teach him humility. Until the call came around the second time. And when God said, are you ready? And he said, no, 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 I can't, I can't do this. And God said, good, you're ready. Now you're ready. Because the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You're not a mighty warrior by yourself. But if the Lord is with you, you're ready. You can do what I've called you to do. See, here's what happens. We, we often sit ourselves on the sidelines. We disqualify ourselves for the plan and the purpose of God. We think somebody else can do it. Somebody else knows more. And we forget. We forget how blessed we are. We forget what God has done for us. I mean, do you realize there are people that are pastoring churches in other parts of the world where it's illegal to be a Christian? They're pastoring underground churches with nothing more than a page of the Bible. They're not blessed enough to have one whole Bible, much less stacks of them in their house. They got one page, and they just study that page, and they lead the church, and then they fold it up, and they pass it to somebody else, and they swap, and then they lead out of another page. And here we are with stacks of Bibles and digital resources, and we can Google search anything, and yet we say, God, I don't, I don't know enough. I don't have enough. No, the truth is we're probably overqualified to be used by God. But if we'll humble our hearts, God isn't concerned with you having the ability to complete the task. What concerns him is you having the humility to trust him as you do the task. Let me give you another key to anyone that wants to successfully serve the Lord. It's this. You got to know that God is with you. You got to know that he's with you. This is what the Lord said to Gideon in verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you 
and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Anything you try to accomplish for God, do it with God. You know, when Mary learned that she was going to carry the Son of God in her womb, she asked the angel that question, how can this be? And his response was this, this encouragement, with God, all things are possible. I know it doesn't seem possible to you, but with God, see, that changes the scenario. That's why we have to know that God is with us. In Luke 5, when, when the disciples had fished all night and come up empty, the next morning, the Bible says, Jesus told them, why don't you throw your net over the other side of the boat? You know how stupid that would sound to a bunch of professional fishermen who had just fished all night and caught nothing? What difference does it make which side of the boat we throw the net on? But that's the point. With God, all things are possible. And so they threw their net over the other side of the boat, and the Bible says they caught such a great catch that their boat almost sunk. You can do something a hundred times and fail by yourself, but with God, it can succeed. It makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. See, some of you, you don't need a new revelation. You don't need a new idea. You just need God. You need to go into what you've already been doing, but you need to go into it with God. You need to just trust him to lead you and to let his spirit enable you. And you can say what Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in him. That's the key. It's in him. And so, so God tells Gideon, he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Now, for some of us, if, if, if we stood in front of the Lord himself or an angel of the Lord, and he said to you, I'll be with you, how many of you think that would be enough? Like that's, I mean, I've never had that experience, but if I had that experience, I'd like to think that's enough. I'm ready to go. But as I said earlier, Gideon is afraid. He's afraid, and so he asked God for a sign. Now, I know none of you ever asked God for a sign, but Gideon asked God for a sign. And so we won't take time to read it, but in the rest of chapter 6, Gideon says, let me bring an offering to the Lord. And so he goes in the house, and he makes a goat sandwich, and, and he makes some broth, and he brings, brings it back out. He's got a soup and sandwich deal, and he lays it on the rock for the Lord. And the Bible says the angel stretched out his staff and he touched the sandwich with the rock and fire came up from the rock and toasted his sandwich. And it disappeared. And so did the angel of the Lord. And Gideon's standing there going, God just ate my sandwich. He received my offering. And so his faith is building now. I mean, wouldn't yours? And then later that night, God says something to Gideon. He says, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Because the people of God have turned their back on me. They're worshiping all these false gods, even in your own house. So Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tear down your father's altar to Baal. And I want you to build an altar to me. And I want you to cut down the Asherah pole that he has. And I want you to use the wood from that Asherah pole. And I want you to make a sacrifice. Take your dad's bull and sacrifice it on the altar for me. Now, if God spoke to you face to face and ate your sandwich, how many of you would be willing to do what he said to do? But Gideon was afraid. And so he did it, but he did it at night. The Bible says he got 10 of his friends together, and at night, they snuck out, 
And they knocked over Baal's altar, and they cut down the Asherah pole, and they made this sacrifice to the Lord. And everybody gets up the next morning, and there's smoke on the altar, and one of the cattle are missing, and they're looking for who done it. And so there's an investigation going on. They're trying to figure out who did this. And while that's happening, the Midianites are rallying the troops. The enemy army is about to attack them. And they're all worried about who knocked down Baal's sacrifice. Now, I don't know at what point in all of this mayhem, all of a sudden Gideon got a little bit of courage. But it, it might have been his frustration with how much they were defending and fighting for the honor of some god made of wood and stone. That there was a righteous indignation that rose up on the inside of Gideon. And finally, after much convincing, he's ready to lead. And the Bible says in verse 34 of Judges 6, the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And I'm going to tell you, that makes all the difference. The spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet summoning the Abizarites to follow him. In other words, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon and he acted. Can I just say to us today in a Pentecostal church on Sunday morning that when the Spirit of God comes upon us, he always comes upon us for purpose over pleasure. Now thank God for the pleasure we experience. The Bible says that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But that is just the icing on the cake. That's just the joy that is ours because of the goodness of our God. But when he pours his spirit out, it's always, always for purpose. And the spirit of the Lord comes on Gideon and he acts. He does something. He begins to blow the trumpet. He begins to sound the rallying cry for the troops to come around him. And Gideon, as the people are coming around him, he's becoming familiar with the voice of the Lord. Whereas before he would hear God and then he wasn't really sure, now God's spirit is coming on him and he's moving. But again, this is Gideon, our legendary hero. He's afraid. Now I know none of you have been here before, but Gideon, he tests God one more time. In verse 36 through 40, Gideon says, bear with me, God. I mean, I, I, I know you, you, you spoke to me face to face. I, I know you, you ate my sandwich and, and, and you received my offering on the altar. And, and just a little bit ago, I blew a trumpet. And just like that, 32,000 soldiers came to rally behind my leadership. But I, I'm just not quite sure this is the Lord. You ever been around those folks? They'll wait on the Lord until Jesus comes. That's their answer for everything. I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm, I just want to. I just want to. Just want to wait it out. I just want to see what God wants to do. I'm just not sure. God said, "Would you just move already?" And so here's Gideon. He says, "God, bear with me, but if, if you would just give me a sign, I, I'm going to take this fleece that I have, and I'm going to put my fleece on a rock." And tomorrow morning when I get up, if you could have the, the dew saturate the fleece but leave the ground dry, then I'll know you're calling me. And aren't you glad that God is gracious with our hesitancy? I mean, God didn't have to do that, but you know what? The next morning, Gideon got up, and sure enough, that fleece, he picked it up, 
and he wrung it out. It was sopping wet, but the ground was dry. God's so gracious. But here's Gideon. You know, that was so cool that you did that, God. I, I just wonder, Lord, if you would do the opposite tomorrow. God, tomorrow when I wake up and I come out, would you let the ground be saturated with dew, but let the fleece be dry? And so he goes to bed, he gets up the next morning, and sure enough, man, God is so gracious. He puts up with us. The ground is soaking wet with dew, and yet the fleece is totally dry. And God just patiently calls him in. Can I just encourage you today? Let's not be people that fleece God. Okay, I, I, I'm not pointing fingers. I, I don't know you or your story, but I've heard lots of people in my life that just have to, I'm just putting a fleece out there. I'm just putting a fleece out there. You know, and we just, we delay and we delay and we delay. God, give me a sign. God, prove yourself. God, show me. You know, I don't see that happening in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would show up at times and places and for seasons. But in the New Testament, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. We don't see the, the church in the New Testament going, well, guys, let's put a fleece out here and let's just see if God wants us to do that. No, they prayed, they fasted, they believed, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they did things like this. They said, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And they just walked by faith. And sometimes we have to just trust the Spirit of God on the inside of us to know that God's not trying to trick you. He's not pulling a hijinks to get you to think you're following God. And he goes, oh, I'm just kidding. I wasn't leading you. No, let's not be a people that fleece God and just come up with excuse after excuse that says, God, if you'll, if you'll just make the weather just right. God, if you'll, Lord, if, if you'll cause this to happen at my job, then I'll, I'll do this for you. God, if, if you'll get my kids to start acting right, then I'll, you know, we just keep coming up with conditions. But God's looking for people that'll just walk in obedience to his word. Why? Because I'm with you. He said, I'm with you, and that's the key. You'll be successful. So you get into chapter 7, and Gideon now has 32,000 troops. How many of you know that sounds good? 32,000 troops, unless you know that the Midianites have 132,000 troops. Not very good odds. In fact, it was, it was over four to one odds. And so Gideon's thinking, God, you're going to have to build a bigger army. But in verse two, God says the very opposite. God looks at that situation. He says, Gideon, you have too many. Do you ever feel like maybe, I know he's perfect and he, and he never makes mistakes, but do you ever feel like God got it wrong? I mean, I can just imagine in this moment, Gideon's going, I, I think you misspoke there, God. You said I have too many, but I think what you meant was the Midianites have too many. And God said, no, you have too many, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to go out there with odds against you, four to one, and you're going to win like I said you're going to win, but you're going to think you did something. You got too many. You're going to take all the credit, and you're going to think that somehow you beat the odds, and you won the battle. So listen. You need less. So God tells Gideon to just ask the troops a simple question. Are you afraid? If you're afraid, you can go home. The Bible says that day, 22,000 troops walked. So now, 10,000 to 132,000. How do you like those odds? And in verse 4, God said, Gideon, you still have too many. 10,000's way too many. 
So I'm going to thin them out for you. And God tells Gideon to just send all the men down to the river to get a drink. And so all the men go down to the river and 7,700 of them just bury their face right in the water. They're just, they're just slurping it up. They're getting a good drink. Now remember, the Midianites have 132,000 soldiers. They're up there somewhere in the hills. They could attack at any moment. But 7,700 of these men put their face in the water and just slurp it up. Only 300 of them kept their eyes up. Only 300 of them cupped the water in their hands and lapped it like dogs. And I want to say to you that God is looking for people who will be sober-minded and vigilant and aware that we have an adversary who roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so God says those 300 that are paying attention, those 300 that know that we are fighting a spiritual battle, I want those 300. You can send the other ones home. So 7,700 more troops take a hike. And now Gideon has his 300 men. See, oftentimes we, we look at the things that we're up against in the natural and in the spiritual, and, and we, we want to we play the odds. We want to count our chips. We want to we see if we have what it takes. And I think Vance Havner was right when he said, the problem isn't that you don't have enough. Vance Havner said, the problem is you got too many of the kind you got. And God's saying, look, I want to be glorified through this victory. I need people that will trust me that I will win this victory for you. And so he sends everyone home except the 300. Can I just tell you today, here's, here's God's odds. One plus God equals a majority. One plus God is a majority. And so now God knows Gideon too well. He doesn't even wait for him to say, pardon me, Lord. He doesn't even wait for him to ask any more questions or to ask him to prove. God just says in verse 9 and 10, he said, listen, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. If you're scared, as if he wouldn't be, if you're scared, go down at night into the camp of the Midianites. I want you to sneak in there and I want you to listen. And the Bible says Gideon took one of his servants with him and they snuck in at night and they're outside of a tent in the Midian camp. And he hears one of the men saying to another, I just had the craziest dream. The guy said, what happened? He said, a giant barley loaf of bread came rolling down the hill and it crushed our tents and it destroyed us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been camping with friends or not, but I'm gonna tell you, if I had a friend that woke me up and said that dream, I would tell him to go back to sleep. I would tell him, you're crazy. You must have ate too much trail mix yesterday. Something's wrong with you. That makes no sense. But apparently, I'm not very insightful because that is not what the dream meant. The Bible says when he told that crazy dream, verse 14 of Judges 7 says this. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Gideon's outside listening to this. The Bible says right there in the dark of night outside of that Midianite tent, he just bows down and he just worships God. And then he gets up and he runs back to the camp and he says, guys, it's on. God is really with us. I want you to do what I do. And this is so important 
This is critical that we understand. If you're going to be a person of, of, of legendary faith, you need to understand the power of influence. Look with me at exactly what Gideon said in verse 17 of Judges, says, Judges 7. He said, watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. See, Gideon spent a lot of time thinking he was unqualified to lead. But the time finally came for him to walk in his calling. And it's the same for us today. It's not enough to just say the way. You got to show the way. You can't just know the way. You got to go the way. This is influence. See, you can't even have the word influence without the word flu. I, I don't know if it's got your house, but a couple weeks ago, it got my house. And it was rough. That's as vivid as I'm going to go. But I'm going to tell you, I was avoiding it like the plague. Somehow, me and Morgan stayed healthy. But the other three, they were down for the count. They were down hard. And I was, man, I was like chugging vitamin C and <laughs> drinking orange juice and drinking about a gallon of water by lunchtime. I mean, I was doing everything I could do to, to stay healthy because I didn't want to catch what they had. But in, in the most healthy sense of the word, can I tell you, you are to be contagious. There ought to be something about your faith that infects other people. God has given you influence. Whether, whether you have a lot of people that work under you and follow you, or whether you're just a leader in your own house, God has given you influence. And we ought to be contagious toward other people. Paul the Apostle said it like this. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus just said, follow me, because <laughs> there is no one better. And there comes a time for us, as it was for Gideon, that we have to say, just do what I do. I'm, I'm going to trust God. We've talked about it, but today, today is the day. I'm going to trust God. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. So he gets his materials together and and he goes down to the battlefield. He separated the 300 men into three platoons. 100 over here, 100 over here, 100 over here. And they sneak in. And I believe that God had to help them a little bit by giving a lot of cloud cover that night. I just believe it was, it was pitch black. It was dark and it was late. The Bible says which watch of the night it was. I think all the fires had died down to a smolder in the Midianite camp. The moon and the stars could not be seen. And Gideon, this clever leader, surrounds the Midianites, all 132,000 of them, with his 300 troops. They weren't carrying swords. They weren't carrying shields. They didn't have spears or bows and arrows or slingshots. Here's how he equipped, he equipped his army. He said, I want you to take a trumpet in one hand, and I want you to take a torch in the other. And I want you to take a jar. And so they've got these torches that are inside these clay jars. And in the dark of night, you can't see the light. Gideon and all his men, they sneak down until they've surrounded those 132,000 troops. He said, do what I do. And all of a sudden, Gideon begins to blast the battle cry on the trumpet. Now, every tribe in Israel, all 12 tribes, they had their own unique battle cry. 
Just like what would happen in the Civil War in American history, there was a unique sound or a rhythm that was played that would signify it's time to charge. And so all of a sudden, everybody's woken up to the sound of one of the 12 tribes of Israel being called to battle. And then they hear trumpets on this side calling another one to battle. And then they hear trumpets on this side calling another one to battle. And now they're surrounded. They can't see anything. And then all of a sudden, they hear a war cry, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And they break those vessels, and all of a sudden, there's light, torchlight, and they're surrounded. And the Bible says, in in, in a panic, the Midianites were disoriented, and they began to run. They didn't know who was out there. They just knew they were surrounded, and they could hear the war cry of every tribe. And so they began to run for their lives, and the Bible says they started fighting against everyone that they ran into. But the Bible had told us in the beginning of chapter 6 that there were so many of them, they were as thick as locusts. And so you know who they ran into, each other. And so in the dark of night, with just enough torchlight to swing a sword, the Midianites began to fight against themselves. And the people of God stood on the outside and watched the Lord fight their battle for them. That's what God wants to do for us. He wants us to move by faith, to believe that the Spirit of the Lord is with us. And because the Lord is with us, I am a mighty warrior. And when we get the the courage to trust God and to step onto the battlefield, he says, okay, now just hold your place. Watch me go. Because it's the Lord's battle. The battle is the Lord's. Let me tell you just one more thing about Gideon's life that maybe you need to prepare for, and that's this. When you do step out in faith, when you do trust God, and you begin to do things that maybe in the natural, they don't make sense to other people, I can promise you this is probably what's going to happen. Criticism will come. You ever found that to be true? I mean, nobody's doing anything, but the moment you decide to be a doer, everybody wants to be a critic. Everybody's an expert on the job that nobody was willing to do after you decided to be the one to do it. And so Gideon, he goes out and he wins this battle with 300 soldiers against 132,000. And we get to chapter eight, and the first verse says this. Now, the Ephraimites, that was some of God's people, they asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you were going to fight Midian? Can you imagine that? Like, now that he's already won, now that it's over, oh, you should have asked, bro, I would have helped. You ever had somebody do that after you moved? Oh, you should have asked. I'm like, like, I've been posting on Facebook for six weeks that I'm moving. You never offered. Now it's over. Oh, you should have asked. I have a truck. I know you have a truck. That's why I tagged you in the post. Right? You had some of those friends? That's the Ephraimites. Why don't you tell us? We would have been happy to come down and defeat the Midianites. This is after seven years. Sure you would have. This would have been a good moment for Gideon to fumble on his leadership. He could have taken offense. He could have gotten up and said, I can't believe you people would say that. But look at what he does. And this is a great leadership lesson. Verse 2, he says, he answered to them, what have I accomplished compared to you? Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of my father? God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. 
Now, granted, they ran into your hands because I chased them off, but he didn't say that. He just said, you're the one that captured the Midianite leaders. What was I able to do compared to you guys? So he, he found their one little contribution, and he honored them for it. In other words, he didn't get a big head about it. See, if you're going to have legendary faith, you got to have a small head and a big heart. And instead of getting an ego and saying, oh, I did all this without you guys. Now you want to help? Instead, he found their one contribution. He said, you guys did awesome. Man, this is a team win. He let them be a part of it. He said, you guys, you, you did incredible. You captured the Midianite leaders. And it says, at this, their resentment against him subdued. Not only did it subdue, but by verse 22 in chapter 8, they wanted to make him the king. They said, Gideon, we want you and your sons and your sons' sons to rule over us. And he could have taken that job, but he didn't. Instead, he said, no, 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 the Lord is your king. Serve him. Don't serve me. We did all this because we got off focus. We were worshiping all these false gods. You need to serve the Lord, your God. And as I look at this incredible story of, of how God used a man who was afraid, a man who felt like he was insignificant, a man who felt like he didn't measure up, he was the last and the least among his people, I can't help but see myself in the story. I can't help but wonder if we would have the kind of faith that doesn't question God and say, God, if I'm in this, then if you're good, why am I here? Or if I'm in this and you are good, you must have abandoned me. But a faith that says, no, I believe, God, that you're good. Even when it doesn't make sense. Even when circumstances tell me otherwise. God, I believe you're good. And you're with me. And I just wonder if we could have that kind of faith today. And I wonder what God might do on our behalf. So as we end this service today, I just felt led to pray and I'm going to pray in a general sense, but I just believe God is speaking to some of us about stepping out in obedience to the Lord, not fleecing the Lord, not saying, okay, good message. Now, God, if you'll do this, then I, no, 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 don't do that to God. But I just wonder if there's anyone here that would say, God, I'm listening for your voice. And listen, I can't specify it enough but you can hear God for yourself. And whatever it is that you've been putting off, whatever obedience you've been delaying, whatever you sense he's calling you to, he wants to speak to your heart and your life today and say, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Oh, but I don't feel like a warrior. But the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So I just want to ask you to bow your head with me for a moment and would you ask the Holy Spirit to just get very specific with you? God, I pray that we would hear the voice of the Lord speak to us as you spoke to Gideon. Go in the strength you have. Not go in your own abilities. Not go in your own ingenuity, but knowing that the spirit of the living God dwells on the inside of us. Knowing that our savior Jesus said, all power and authority has been given to me. 
And then you release that authority to us. God, may we go in the strength that we have. God, speak to our heart today about the mantle that you want us to take up. The steps of obedience that you're asking of us. And God, I pray today, right now, for anyone here that has been living their life in that sin cycle. And we're back to, we're back to humility. We've sinned, we've rebelled, we've paid the consequences, we felt the bondage, we felt the result of disobedience, we felt the punishment, but God, here we are on a Sunday morning and we're back to humility and repentance and a broken and a contrite heart. And if you're here today and that's you, God will answer your prayer of confession and repentance. So right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and that describes your life, right where you sit, I want to challenge you to just ask God, say, God, would you forgive me? And you may have to say again, but that's okay because his grace is greater than your sin. Would you just pray right where you're at? God, forgive me. God, help me again. God, pick me up, rescue me, redeem me one more time. God, strengthen me by your Holy Spirit to live the life that I could never live on my own. If that's you today, just from your heart, there's no magic words. Just be honest with God. God, help me. God, help me to begin today, right now, again. Give me a new start. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace, Lord. I just tell him, I receive it. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Thank you for picking me up one more time. Thank you for empowering me by your Holy Spirit to do what I couldn't do on my own. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And he's leading you into battle. He's going to give you victory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen today. Amen. Amen. Amen.